when we use language, we use words not just to refer to the things that are in front of us, but to all the things with the same names in all the universes and all the possible worlds that we could possibly imagine and indeed some that we couldn't. When I talk about a table, I mean something that is in front of me, perhaps. This table. But in doing so, I am also, to some extent, and however loosely or vaguely, referring to every other table that has ever deserved the name, whether it be still here, gone before me, or to come after me whether it be on this world or another world. The word table refers to every table there ever has been or ever could be or ever will be. Of course, this isn't remotely new. We have basically seen this since Plato tried to resolve the vexed question, and it is indeed vexed, of the nature of universals using his notion of the forms or the ideals that there is some abstract conceptual entity called a table or the table that exists in some hypothetical abstract universal transcendent world the world, the realm of the forms well nobody is likely to get very exercised over whether the particular thing in front of me is a table or not. But we do get exercised, and greatly so, by the question whether a particular thing is, let us say, just or fair or true, whether things are equal or not, or prejudiced. And we get especially exercised over the way we use words like men and women, particularly in a trans world. The process that we are describing was once described by Wilhelm von Humboldt as the process of grasping the infinite using the finite. And the more one thinks about it, perhaps only if you're a bear of very little brain like me, you have to think about it at all, the more one realises that the whole of human existence is in a way summarised in that simple notion. We try to get more bangs per buck than our humble insignificant situation in the universe really merits. We somehow want to get a grasp of the universe from our tiny little planet in an insignificant galaxy somewhere on the fringes of it all. And good for us, I mean well done, good idea. The process of rendering all the tables that have ever existed accessible by using a word like table is central to, intrinsic to, inseparable from the notion of language itself. So language affords us unimaginable power. But there is, of course, 
a danger. And the danger is that over time, all sorts of things will be described as tables, including a great many things that either aren't or that there would be a dispute about. If, if, I, if I put my cup of coffee on a chair, for example, does that make the chair a table? If I put it on the floor, does it make the floor a table? What is a table? And even more to the point, what is justice? Equality, liberty, fraternity, all these important, big, metaphysical concepts that we love to talk about and love to think so important to us. Well, unfortunately, over time, all kinds of sentences, if I can call them that, are said and written about everything. Tables, justice, plankton, computers, people. And the totality of those sentences is most unlikely, in fact one should really be forgiven for saying, is inconceivably coherent. It is inescapable and unavoidable that if you were to take everything that has ever been said about tables or justice or, I don't know, computers or sandwiches, the totality of it wouldn't be coherent. So we end up with a rag bag of things that together are incoherent and we are pretty well forced if we are to communicate with one another to render them coherent by doing something Procrustean. Procrustes, if you remember, in the story is the hotelier who made everyone fit his beds of a standard size by either stretching them out to make them taller or chopping off their legs to make them shorter. So Procrustean coherence comes from essentially excising or distorting, extending or diminishing, usually exorcising completely aspects of the incoherence that we find in almost everything we say and everything we do. So this Procrustean rendering of things into coherence has great merits because it means that we can have things like language and communicate about things that really refer to incoherent totalities but in the particular way we use them are restricted to coherent totalities and at the same time we can develop things like science that is based not upon a leaf in its uniqueness but the totality of leaves not on an animal in its uniqueness but the totality of animals not on a brain in its uniqueness but the totality of brains and so on and of course whenever we do this inevitably we are doing something procrustean we are forgetting lopping off setting aside, ignoring as if it didn't matter a great deal of the detail a great deal of the 
accumulated historical crud that goes with any term at all in our language. Well, that is a positive side to coherence. But it's easy to see, it's obvious, that it comes at a very considerable cost. It comes at the expense of saying that we are dealing with an abstract, an unreal generalization of a concept that is referred to using something like a proper name or a collective noun. And in doing so, we are inevitably leaving aside a great deal of the detail. Now let's just park that for a moment and consider what happens if we do the same thing with ourselves. Because over the course of our lives, we each accumulate a whole rag bag of incoherent characteristics. We like to think of ourselves as being a single person, but we're not. As Walt Whitman famously said it in his poem, A Song of Myself, you say I am inconsistent. Very well, I am inconsistent. I am large. I am a multitude. And Walt Whitman's point is generalizable to everyone. We are all multitudes. We may like to think that we are coherent. We may like to tell ourselves a story of our own coherence. This particular John Puddyfoot has a history in the world, we like to say, I like to say, but he really has many. And it's a choice which of those histories, which of those narratives he tells, whether he tells it to himself or to somebody else, makes little difference. But we do all tell ourselves a story in which we pretend, at least, that we are one. That we have what we like to call integrity, not in the moral sense. Although that too. So, when John Puddyfoot criticises himself, he criticises himself as if he were a coherent single entity. And on that basis, it would appear to make sense for him to be ready to engage in the kind of beating of oneself up that involves saying, I am a success or I am a failure. I am good or I am bad. I have done well or I have been a disaster. But the more one thinks about it, the more one thinks about the I am a multitude, the more absurd such beating up of oneself or, contrary, the praising of oneself, the elevation of oneself, the more absurd it becomes. Because we are not one. And we are going to be good at some things and not so good at others. Trustworthy in some instances and not in others. Our total ragbag of characteristics is incoherent. So, the fact that we can name this ragbag as John Puddyfoot or Beethoven or Socrates actually has no real bearing in the sense that we are not really naming something that is a coherent single 
object of reference. Now you may say, well, what's that all got to do with the price of bread? Well, let's go back to our table. What happens when we use language, and when we use it with its enormous power, as we've acknowledged, is that we give names to things, just as we give them to people, like John Puddyfoot, that aren't really coherent entities. If we accept, as surely we must, and in that case the surely I think is justified, that any name that we use for a collective, let us say, or even for an individual, doesn't name a single thing, doesn't name a single set of things, but names an incoherent ragbag of contradictory things, then it stops being sensible to talk about, for example, the French, or the English, or whites, or blacks, or even men and women, as though we are talking about some identifiable, coherent totality. These are fictions. They are inventions of language that make it sound as though we're saying something, but we're not. Now, I said earlier that when it's a matter of a word like table, we don't much care. But it's easy to see that if we start talking about things like whites and blacks, or right and wrong, or justice and injustice, it does matter. And the fact that we're not talking about coherent totalities should then make us more circumspect about the absolutizing tendencies that we have, the tendencies we have to generalize and think that we are describing some infinite totality using a single word. We're not, and we can't.